Today's guest on Dink Talk is Micah Joe. He's a friend of mine, as well as a very professional better. He specializes in college basketball and soccer. And since it's not college basketball season, this will be about soccer. A little warning before I start is I know nothing about soccer, but I'm going to learn what you learn and we're going to give it a go. Are you ready? Good. Okay, Micah, are you there? I'm here. Thanks for having me, Alan. Yeah, thanks for helping me out. It's always fun to have a friend on. It makes it a little easier. Um, talk about what growing up. You grew up where? I grew up in Wheelersburg, Ohio, which is right on the southern uh, border of Ohio and Kentucky, right on the Ohio River. And it's really close to West Virginia. The, in fact, the area that I grew up in is, is basically known as the tri-state area by the locals. And it's, you know, really close to all three states. Okay. I've never been to uh, that part of the country. I've been to Kentucky. Um, I've been to Ohio, but I've never been to that tip where they all meet. Um, what was it like growing up there? Was it a lot of sports? Um, yeah. The, the, the high school that I uh, ended up at, I, I was at a different elementary school, but the high school I ended up at was a very... Uh, very concentrated on sports and had really good sports programs. My sophomore year, we won a state football championship. And my senior year, we lost uh, only two games and made it to the state semifinals. So we had a, it was, it was a very uh, athletically driven uh, 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 high school atmosphere, basically. It was a lot of fun. Did you play in any sport? Yeah, I played football and basketball. Um, I was better at football. Um, I got more playing time in football uh, in, in than in basketball, but I liked basketball better, ironically. What position did you play in football? Uh, defensive end on the strong side. I played where the tight end, whatever, whatever side the tight end went on, I, I went on that side. Okay. And I know you ended up coaching, is that right? Yes, I had a very influential uh, high school coach and um he was a really good defensive coach, and I learned a lot from him, and I transitioned to uh, to coaching football. Uh, in retrospect, I might have been better off coaching basketball, but I went into football, and I was very uh, uh, data-driven, and I watched a lot of film, and I recorded it. I used Excel. That was the first thing I really used Excel for, and I knew percentages and tendencies and uh, football coaches were really, really bad, especially at the high school level, about having uh, tendencies. Um, the one that's probably the most interesting and the, the one that I found the most is high school football coaches offensively on third down, whenever they really needed a big play and a first down, tended to go to their bench two-thirds to 75% of the time, basically. So we would gear our defense on those big plays uh, always to their bench because I assume it's because they're nosy and they wanted to see what was going on, basically. That's interesting. And why did you end up stop stop being a coach? Did you want to be go up to higher levels? Um, I didn't really have any aspirations for that as much as um, it got to the point where it wasn't so much fun anymore. The expectations that the parents had were completely over the possibilities that their children had. And you know, some some years when we went six and four and should have went seven and or I'm sorry, and should have went three and seven, they they basically wanted us fired. And just because we went six and four and this is not this wasn't a traditionally successful program, but um, I, I think I just got tired of it. And I was playing 
I was playing a lot of online poker at the time, and I was doing as well playing online poker at nights in my spare time as I was uh, teaching at the time. And I'd always gambled, so I just really wanted to – and I always really wanted to live in Las Vegas. So I thought, you know, you could kill two birds with one stone if you could actually be successful and live in Las Vegas. How did you start to gamble when you were in high school when you started? Um, I was probably younger than that. Um, there was a, uh, a dog track in Charleston, West Virginia. And my family went and I had a neighbor a couple doors down. He wasn't exactly my neighbor, but he would take me sometimes when he didn't have anybody else to go with him. And he would give me $2 a race, not give it to me, but he would allow me to pick my race, uh, my a win bet for $2 on 15 races. So he basically allotted me $30 to bet every time. And, and I just, every chance I got, I liked to, I wanted to go with him after that, probably 12 or 13 was the first time I ever went. And then by the time I got my driver's license, it was about an hour and 10, hour and 15 minutes away. By the time I got my driver's license, I was there all the time. Did you learn enough to become a winning player there? No, no. I didn't learn enough to become a winning player there until probably later on. I probably uh, learned that it was close to impossible to win, but possible. Um, they really had a big one-dog bias at Tri-State Greyhound Park. And I discovered that later, later on, but I, I, I still don't know if you could win, uh, you know, overall, I don't think you could make a living doing it because you couldn't get enough down. And the more you got down, the more it would change the odds so much that it wasn't worth the bet, but they had a really big one dog bias. And if you had a one dog, that was, that was a, a dog that got out and stayed on the rail, there was really just no catching it. That's pretty interesting. I, I... I grew up, I started at Harness, which is a little closer to the dogs, I think, than thoroughbred racing. Agreed. The horses race every week at Harness, and probably the dogs raced every week at the dog track. I think twice a week, just about. Wow, that's, that's, I think that's uncommon, but there's no more races to compare it to in Florida because they're, they're done. Is that track still open? Yes, they are still open. They're one of the few in the nation. Um, ironically, there was a track in Wheeling, West Virginia, and they had the boxes that the dogs came out of. There were four, and then there was a space, and then there were four more. So that four and five dog at Wheeling didn't do too bad as compared to at Tri-State because at Tri-State, they were just boxed in so bad that they always got banged around so much. But at Wheeling, they had that a little bit of an extra room and the four or five dog had a little bit more of a value uh, at Wheeling because of the way they came out of the box. The Wheeling track still open? I don't know if it is or not. I assume it probably is. I think all the West Virginia tracks are still open. That might be the only state that has them. Is that right? I, I think so. Wow. So sad. Okay. So now you've learned online poker. When did that start? Is that high school level? I had always just played poker. And then when it got to, you know, when, when online started, there were so many places and if you just if you just uh if you just tried all the different places and took advantage of all the promos and the bonuses you could do pretty well and then the more i played the more the better i got at it and then if you really found a soft place um i did really well at a place called pacific poker it wasn't one of the most popular but for some reason it was extremely soft and i won a lot of minor tournaments there and you know a lot of sit and goes i was playing sit and goes too I was playing sit and goes really well by the time I got to Las Vegas. And then um, I learned some more angles for sit, from sit and goes from other people and, and just started doing really well once I got to Vegas here. What year did you get to Vegas? 
2005. Okay, and, and what, how old were you then? Um, that would make me 33 at that time. And you came with your now wife, Tracy? Yes, we drove to Tucson where her brother lived. We stayed a day there and then we drove here. And we stayed at Circus Circus the first night. And the next night we got an apartment, slept on the floor because we didn't have any furniture. And then, you know, we started gradually getting furniture from there. I took all my retirement out when I was teaching from when I was teaching. And we came out here on that basically against the advice of, of many, many, many people. And your intention was to be a poker player? Uh, at the time, yeah. Well, I was trying to do a little bit both, but I was doing more. I was I was doing more with the poker at that point in time, but I was still pretty successful with college basketball. And how did you find soccer? Uh, I just I gradually started watching it and liking it. And then I knew some guys that were really, really good at it. I learned a lot of things from them. Um, I like the concept and the aspect that pretty much these teams are they play in their domestic leagues and then once they get to the national teams these guys really haven't played much together at all and a lot of the times when you see like when you see the the uh, international soccer teams playing this season um, the this summer soccer season you're going to see the teams that are playing are, are really, for the most part, is going to be the first time these 11 players have played together at the same time. So is soccer more angles than knowing the players and their value to a, a team? I don't know. I really, I, I, I really stress watching the, uh, I really stress watching how the backs, the center backs that, that play in front of the goalies defensively and the goalie. It, for me, it looks like a triangle, the way these three people uh, coordinate and move and communicate with each other. And I really, really stress watching those three people. Um, keeping your eye, I, I watch the whole, I watch the whole pitch, but I'm, I'm really kind of focused on those three players and how they, uh, how they communicate with each other and, and how they defend. So that's really live. I, is that live betting we're talking about? Because you're watching I do some live betting, but basically just watching how many, uh, how many good chances an offense can create and how many good chances a defense allows. And you can see that a lot in shots on goal, but on shots on goal, they don't really, if a guy gets a wide open shot and just fires it over the goalie and he doesn't have to make a save, that doesn't count as a shot on goal, but it is a good chance and a good creating opportunity. And uh, in watching it, you can see that more than just looking at the box score after, which I, I also, I, you know, I'm big on box scores, you know that from college basketball yeah. and anything. For sure. So do you keep charts on what you see? And, and I mean, there's not that many shots. It's not. You know. I keep notes. I keep notes. But, but, you know, a lot of, like I said, a lot of the shots on goal aren't really recorded. If a guy hits a really good shot and it just hits on the crossbar, but the goalie doesn't save it, then that's not considered a shot on goal. Just like a hockey. Really good, yeah. Right. But it's a really good chance. So is there, a, we have scoring chances in hockey now that they have that in soccer. They have a thing called expected goals that I like, and they basically take where the guy shoots the goal from and what realistic expectation it has of going in. So if the guy misses a shot right in front of a goal, then they're going to count that as maybe like a 0.8 or 0.9 expected goals. Whereas if he fires one from 30 feet and it actually goes in, they might only count that as a 0.1 or 0.2 expected goal. 
And I really like that. I think it's pretty accurate the way MLS does it. You can't really find that for international soccer. You just you just really have to watch. It's very much like hockey now. Those stats have become very important. Yeah, I would imagine, except for the sheer volume of number of shots and shots on goal you get in hockey is extremely high compared to soccer. Right, but we don't do shots on goal anymore. We do expected goals now. Okay. That's the advanced version. High high danger chances is is charted in hockey, you know, for whatever they consider the boundaries of a high danger chance. So they, they have those charted and expected goals. And I think those are the two that most people key on now. Um, so now there's a million leagues in soccer. There's, every country seems to have uh, some league that you can bet on. How did you find your leagues that you play? Um, I really, I this past year, I've, I've dabbled in, in doing the English Premier League just because it is the most popular, and you can watch pretty much all those games. But really the domestic leagues, specifically in Europe, coincide with college basketball and it's just really really hard to do so um this year i devoted more time and effort to uh betting and watching the mls i used to just run a model and bet uh totals based on shots and shots on goal and goals and the average of those things and it was pretty cut and dried and it really didn't involve a whole lot of handicapping and watching but what i've done this year is i've tried to watch as many matches as i can and I have paid a lot of attention to the expected goals as the match was going on. And I've done a little bit more handicapping on sides and I've included sides this year, but I, I just, it's, it's really hard to do the European leagues for me because I can't really watch any of the, the matches. The matches are going on early on Saturday and I'm making, you know, a thousand bets on Saturday morning in college basketball. I know this was asked of you before, but what was your biggest amount of bets on one day in college basketball? Uh, over 200. That's amazing. And what's your biggest amount in one day in soccer? Oh, not even close to that. 25? At, at the most, yeah, something like that. Including live betting. Yeah, you just can't – you cannot beat college basketball for sheer amount for – the, for the sheer amount of volume that it, that it gives you. Um, I'm familiar with a little bit of soccer lines, the, the three-way line. Does that have any potential to be beaten? Well, here's what the three-way line is. If, if the game line was, uh, well, that really doesn't apply. So the team that's favored by a half goal in a regular soccer line would be the same as betting them to win on the three-way line. The other two bets on the three-way line have to be the dog to win or a draw. So you really don't get a whole lot of value most, most of the time unless the favorite that you want to bet is minus a half. Other than that, I really don't pay much attention to the uh, three-way line. I don't, I don't really like bet underdogs to win. I bet them at plus one and a half or plus three quarters or, or plus one or whatever they, uh, whatever they amount to. Is that common among successful soccer betters, or is that a micro special? I, I don't know many success. I really don't know that many. Um, I, I when I first, you're aware when I first came to Las Vegas, I, I was in a group, and after I was out of that group, I've pretty been been pretty rogue since then, um, with not a lot of influence from other people or input toward other people as well. I have a few people that I coordinate bets with somewhat, but for the most part, I do a lot of things by myself and I really don't like having 
too much uh, outside influence, especially with something like this with uh, international soccer. It's so there's so uh, there's so much handicapping by what I watch and what I see on the pitch that I really don't like to be influenced that much. I don't watch the ESPN shows. I don't watch Sports Center or anything like that. A lot of people, including myself, use Twitter for their sports to get some information from bloggers or newspaper writers. Do you do that with soccer? Well, actually, yes. I really like this. Uh, there, are, There's a podcast called the MLS Extra Time, and these guys are extremely knowledgeable. They, they do uh, one show a week on uh, Monday morning, and then they do one show on Thursday, and it's about an hour show. And they are all on Twitter. And I do follow the four of them on Twitter. And I watch the show every week. And I definitely have picked up some things. Um, these guys are very, very knowledgeable about soccer and uh, points of attack and players that can create space for themselves or find space for themselves. And they really do a good job of uh, who is in trouble. Like just recently, for example, in this last one, they, they, were, they were almost mocking the New York Red Bulls uh, back to center backs. At their as that they're basically not even MLS caliber center backs. So that's one thing that I have in my notes. But yeah, I do use Twitter some. Like I know we weren't really going to talk about college basketball, but I don't use anybody else in college basketball but John Rothstein. He does such a fantastic job. I really haven't found anybody like that for soccer. And in international soccer, it's so variable and there's so many different uh, countries that it's really hard to find one. I do feel like that... Uh, Alexi Lawless and Taylor Twelman, I really like to listen to the things that they say. I think they're pretty spot on with uh, some of their analysis. Uh, do those things that you listen to for soccer, I already forgot the name. Uh, is that a gambling-related soccer show? or is it Not a... at all. That's what, I, that's what I like about it. It's not a gambling-related at all. Uh, is there a gambling-related soccer podcast? They, they, they promoted one one day, and I listened to it, and at the end, the guy said just it was like a disclaimer that he doesn't really even bet soccer. He's just doing this show for a I don't know what exactly for. But and so I stopped listening to that because if somebody's not actually betting their opinions, then I'm not really that interested. Now, I know in college basketball, of course, you make a line first before you see the line. Is that yep. what you do for MLS? Yeah, I do that, and but I'm I'm a little more open to adjustment, and it's easier to do so because there are, you know, less than thirty teams as opposed to three hundred and fifty-seven teams. So I can uh, I can do a little more nuanced uh, tweaking of my numbers um, with injuries and and uh, suspensions and things like that. And what's going to come soon when these international matches start? Um, they're going to have national call-ups. So it's important for in the MLS, while I'm also betting the international soccer, it's important which MLS players are getting called up to their national teams and which ones are going to have basically substitutes instead of uh, the starter that they normally have in the uh, in their domestic team. There's a lot to keep up with. How important are injuries and do you get good injury information? Is everything well known? It's pretty well known. Um, but the thing with soccer, it's not so much injuries. They just rest sometimes. Um, they, a team might have three main strikers that they rotate all the time, and then maybe a fourth striker. They have three strikers that they rotate in two spots, and then they have a fourth striker that plays 
occasionally, you know, when they have injuries or something like that gets inserted, he gets inserted in. But I, I always look at the lineups to see, and sometimes I may, might make a bet based on a lineup change that I like or dislike. But as far as totals go with soccer, I really found over the years that injuries, you know, there are a lot of soccer players in 26 teams. I would guess that maybe five to 10 players could influence the total if they're out of the match. I just don't think it matters much. It more matters the shots on goal and the amounts of, amount of shots and how they play and the formation they play in as to um, what, what the total should be. I, I really think it's the mindset of how each team plays rather than the players that are actually on the pitch. Who are the two best teams in the MLS and who are the two worst teams? The, be the, the best team right now is the Seattle Sounders, and that's – Usually the, the Sounders don't really gel until the end of the year, and they, they've won a lot of MLS Cups, but this year they've just really just been blasting people. Um, second, I couldn't really say. They actually, they actually had that debate on extra time uh, today, which, which was the second team, and I think, I think they came up with about seven teams that, that was a possibility. Um, the two worst teams, by far the, the worst team is Cincinnati. Um, they were an expansion team last year. They got a brand new stadium, um, but they're two center backs. I don't even know if any other team in the NLS would pick them up if they dropped them. Their, their center backs are horrible defensively. And then probably uh, either the Chicago Fire or the new expansion team, Austin, uh, Austin FC. Okay, let's say I've decided to no longer play hockey and I want to play soccer. Uh, okay. I've never watched a full game of soccer, maybe a World Cup maybe a full game of soccer. How would I start the process? I know a lot of people who listen to this podcast are probably going soccer. I don't care about soccer, but, but it's a, it's just, just a sport. If you're good at a sport, it's the one you want to play. Um, how would you go about it? It's kind of intimidating to me to start a sport like soccer from through the basics. Was that how you would advise somebody to go about it? Yeah, that's a tough one. Um, I think from from my from my background of watching a lot of film when I was coaching football, I learned not to watch the ball. I trained myself not to watch the ball, and it's not even a hard thing for me to do anymore. And I don't really watch much NFL football or college football at all. But when I do, all I'm really watching in football is the line and how they block and 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 how they open up holes because I feel like running backs are a dime a dozen for the most part. Um, there are exceptions, but in soccer, I just watch how the front 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 two defenders in front of the goalie coordinate basically with everybody else, but it's predominantly that triangle of those two and the goalie. And then you can, by watching those two, then you can see where they're going and where their movement takes them to. A lot of times it's shaded to a certain player that they're trying to stop. But I think in soccer, uh, another one of the keys is you just can't, you just can't watch the ball all the time. When I was coaching football, we had a saying, um, you know, a dog chases the ball. And I tried to, to teach my players when we were watching films, uh, you know, just don't don't just follow the ball, follow what's happening in the game. But I would guess that most, you know, 99% of fans, when they watch a sport, they're they're watching the ball the whole time. But I've trained myself not to do that. And I'm, I'm actually, I've gotten pretty good at that. Uh, basketball, you don't really necessarily have to as much, but Soccer, it's really, really, really important to be able to watch everything besides what's happening uh, directly on the ball. 
your wife Tracy does a lot of inputting during college basketball. Is she? Do you need her for soccer? No, no. Not only do I not, do I not need her, but she doesn't want to. She she. I wouldn't say she dislikes soccer, but she doesn't really want to have anything to do with that. Okay. Um, so it, it would be a hard first sport. It sounds like it'd be a hard first sport to start betting because it's a little more complex what you're watching and it's not that much stat driven. Is that right? That is absolutely correct. And um, in fact, Eric Waz and I have talked about this on numerous occasions. Soccer might be the the sport where uh, the most wrong wrong side losers and wrong side winners happen. There's just so many times where a team will dominate and they'll have seven shots on goal and the other team will get one lucky bounce and win one to nothing. It, it can be a really, really frustrating sport if you don't have um, multiple years of success because you can really go through some real, real big streaks where you, you feel like you watch the match and the, the your side wins the ball and has the possession 65% of the time, gets 10 shots on goal, doesn't score, and the other team scores, maybe gets one shot on goal and then scores on a penalty kick, which you didn't necessarily agree was a penalty. And, you know, th this just – it happens all the time in soccer. Soccer's got to be number one and then hockey's got to be number two because of the few amount of few points or goals that are scored in, in the sports. Yeah, especially in the in the international leagues when it gets really, really – I'm sorry, in the international one-off tournaments. When it gets really, really important, you know, that teams just don't take a lot of chances. Um, one thing that I would say from a from – a, from a viewpoint of international one-off soccer tournaments where they do basically three rounds and then they start the playoffs, I would say that if you, if you really want to do something, you would really want to focus on the underdogs and the unders because some of these games just – an underdog gets a lead and the game just dies. They just – they try to pass the ball back and forth and not give it up and, and what they call park the bus in front of the goal and they're going to take – seven or eight more shots on goal, just not going to give you any easy chances or, or open chances. And teams, teams that really need a win tend to do this. So if you can bet, if you can find dogs and, and unders in, in one-off tournament, especially in when it gets to the playoffs, when it's uh, in the knockout stage, I think if you can find those, those are the easiest things to, uh, that would be the easiest way to try to make a profit in soccer. And this summer, I mean, we're just loaded full of tournaments because last year they were all canceled. So we basically have two summers worth of soccer tournaments in one this year. If they don't get canceled this year. If they don't get canceled. I, if you ask me, I think there's a greater than 50% chance that the Olympic soccer will get canceled, which doesn't bother me so much because that was going to be like midnight starts and 3 a.m. starts. And I probably wasn't going to be able to watch that. That's not really in my wheelhouse. I'm more uh, get up at, 5 a.m. and that really that really doesn't uh, help me much. Now the one-off tournaments in your Euro, in Europe they're going to start at 6 a.m., which is perfect for me. And then we've got the Copa America that's going. And again, I assume there's about a 90% chance they'll play. Um, and then the the Gold Cup will definitely play. It's it's played here in the United States, and there's no way around that. I mean, we're doing pretty good with the virus. But again, I I don't I don't look for the Olympics to happen. If, if I had to bet on it and you gave me a 50-50 proposition, I'm going to bet the no. For a big bet or a small one? A medium bet. Okay.
I hope they do the Olympics. That's so sad. But it keeps getting. I don't really. Fun. It's 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 one of those things that I don't bet on the Olympics, so I really don't watch it. Other than the Olympic soccer, which basically the Olympic soccer for the women is just a continuation of of theirs. Um, it's it's basically the same teams that play in the World Cup. But the Olympic men's is under 23, and they allow three what they call over players. You can pick three players that are of any age, but everybody else has to be under 23. So those teams never play together until you actually get to see them live during the Olympics. And I've always really, really done well in the Olympics, but I didn't really think – I wasn't really going to invest much time in it this year anyway because it was so late at night. It's just – that's not conducive to what I do well. Can't you tape the games or are we talking about live betting? I could tape them. I could, but then it would interfere with everything else I was doing during the day. So I, I just, I'm just going to pass on the Olympic soccer this year. Busy guy. You've always been a busy guy. Um, I guess we're pretty much done, except for maybe you'd like to give us a game or two for the weekend. Well, um, yeah, I've got two pretty good plays in, in MLS this weekend. Um, the aforementioned Seattle Sounders, they're the best team. They really dominated last week at home against Atlanta United, and Atlanta got a late penalty kick, and they tied one-to-one. So that makes them uh, – that's their first tie, so that makes them 5-1-0. and They haven't lost a match yet. And they're playing Austin FC, who is the uh, newest team, the expansion team in, in MLS. And Austin, they played one good match about three weeks ago, and they beat uh, – Minnesota United, who's really, really struggling. But since then, they've lost a combined uh, five to one in the last three matches. Their expected shot, their expected goals is just terrible for the last three. Seattle coming off a uh, somewhat disappointing effort for them. Um, I don't really, I don't very often lay a goal in soccer, but I think this is just going to be an absolute uh, blasting from Seattle. I think they're going to be really, really motivated. They were really disappointed in how the result that they got last week after they played uh, what I would say a, a better match than what Atlanta did. So I like, I like Seattle minus the one right now. It's about minus one, even um, I would recommend it all the way up to about it. Minus one, minus one ten would be the, the worst I would lay at the, at the size of bet that I currently have. And then secondly, I'm going to pick on FC Cincinnati's back line being so bad. Um, I like new England over right now. It's uh two and three quarters. So half your bets at two and a half and half your bets at uh, three. So basically if you get over three, you win half the bet. And if you get, I'm sorry, if it lands on three, you win half the bet. And if it lands on four, then you win your whole bet. But I like Minnesota to at least score a couple goals, maybe even three. FC Cincinnati's shown a really good, uh, uh, they've done a really good job on set pieces and scoring on set piece goals. They don't really score well in the run of play, but they will take advantages. Uh, this wouldn't wouldn't surprise me if it gets three to one or maybe even four to one New England. Um, New England's really hitting their stride. They're they're coached by the former uh, national team coach Bruce Arena was the coach in the '80s and he does a great job. And they've gotten people healthy and I think they're really going to score some goals here. I like I like minus uh, minus a half with New England as well, but the really good bet's going to be uh, over two and three quarters goals in uh, New England. And Seattle minus one. Those are my two best plays in MLS this weekend. Obviously, you cannot parlay those two. I mean, if I wish that they would let you, but you also might might be uh, you might risk getting cut off of some place if you try to do something like that. I remember I, I 
when I first looked at these scores, I go, boy, if you can parlay the tie and the under, because it's... some play, some 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 uh, PPHs used to take those ten and twenty years ago, and they would take the some of these. You know, you get in an international match where it's an extremely close match, and both teams need the win, and both teams are devastated by the loss. But if they get a draw, they both might move on to the next round. If you could parlay plus a half and under two goals in in some of those, it was it was really really good. But some of those places caught on after a while. I mean, that's just, it's just those are those are really big correlations there. Did you find those places? Oh yeah, when I was with the group, we found some of those places. Yeah, didn't tell me your buddy. I don't understand. Oh, I'm sure I'm sure that you I'm sure you benefited from it in some way. Okay, good. Um, it was fun. Those days when you were with the group and I was kind of a outside insider, I guess. Yeah. Um, that's that, what I'm talking about. I'm sure you've been, I'm sure I'm positive you benefited in some ways. Yeah. There were, those were fun days. I missed those days. There was yeah, camaraderie because you guys all worked in the same place. Yeah. Yeah, that was. Okay. Um, say hi to Tracy. Thank you for your, I think this was fascinating. When I've learned a lot. It went better than I thought because I was worried about it. I couldn't ask you intelligent questions, but I, I think I think the listener learned here. I think that's great. I, I, I think my biggest advice is look at box scores because the score doesn't always match what happened in, in the uh, in soccer. It just it rarely does match what happens and be confident in in the numbers that you see, especially as you get familiar with them and as you, you know, gain, uh, I guess, gain volume in, in uh, your box scores and uh, pay attention to the lineups, especially if you know the players. And in the one-off tournaments, you can really – you can almost be sure, for example, when, when the United States lines up in the Gold Cup, actually they're going to play in the Con- CONCACAF uh, Nations League semifinals against Honduras on June 6th. The lineup they put on the pitch will not be – will n- not even be close to the last lineup they put out. They just, it's a constantly evolving in, uh, in soccer. It's constantly evolving which players get called up and which players don't. Does the MLS have as much acting as the other leagues? Yeah, I mean, it, the sad thing with soccer is if you don't act and you don't make a big deal every time you get fouled, um, then they don't call it a lot of times. But, yeah, it, it gets a little sickening sometimes. I, I get tired of seeing it as well. And some of the teams and some of the players are worse than others. And to be real honest with you, I really love women's soccer as well. You don't see as much acting in the women's soccer as you do in the men's. For whatever reason, I don't know. But if you watch them, you'll notice a difference. Is there a league you can bet on women's soccer? I really haven't researched that. You probably could, but I bet you couldn't get much down on the uh, the women's soccer league here in the United States. But they do take – you definitely can bet on uh, on all the World Cups and some, even some of the regional tournaments. You can always bet on the UEFA Women's Tournament in Europe. That's a, I mean, that Pinnacle takes pretty large bets on that. Pinnacle's your go-to out mostly, right? Pinnacle is the best soccer out, yes. Probably next best would be Chris, and then after that, some of the Vegas apps. But a lot of times, some of the Vegas places only put up three-way lines. So you're basically either this team to win, this team to win, or... Or draw. Or draw. And, you know, one of the teams to win might be plus 380 or something like that. I, I like the goal lines better. Okay. What's the VIG in those three-way lines about? Too much, especially in the <laughs> casino. I mean, some of these casinos here, it, it, it they should be 
they should be embarrassed the big that they ask for in on these three-way lines. Interesting. They should be embarrassed <laughs> to call themselves the king of the sports book. They should be embarrassed about a lot of other things as well. Yeah, they definitely should. I'm I'm a big advocate of circa. Is circa best in, in the soccer? Uh, yeah, I definitely get I definitely get bets at circa. Um, Caesars will take a bet as well. Uh, a lot of times, stations is only the three-way line, and MGM's really only the three-way line. But it depends on what league too. Um, the the Premier League, most of them have just about everything that you want on it, and a lot of these these uh, soccer, the big soccer tournaments, like the ones this summer, the Euro and the Copa and the Gold Cup. They'll do a pretty good job of putting uh, all the lines out for those. Um, I need to ask somebody this, so I'm going to ask you. It's not okay. It's not relevant to this thing. Caesars is not exactly the same lines as William Hill. Still, I really haven't. I don't. I really have taken it off uh, William Hill off my screen because I only bet at Caesars because they give better comps than what William Hill does. But if, if there's different lines, you might want to bet at William Hill because of a better number. I would assume, but when I used to look at it, I looked at it for a couple of weeks and I didn't see any different lines. Okay, because they swore to me that they were going to be the same and I took my money out of Caesars. I guess I should have took it out of William Hill. But uh, that was something I was worried about because when Caesars had their own numbers, that was the softest of, I think, the softest of all my Vegas sports books. Did you find that? Um, I don't, I'm not sure how you would define softest. I, well, get a lot I, of, I had a high percentage of bets there. Looking well, I have a high percentage of bets there because I concentrate. If all the lines are the same, I concentrate on the places that give me comps. So I do, I do get a lot of bets there. Caesars is probably the best at comps as far as Vegas goes, in my opinion. Okay. That's good to know. Maybe I'll reopen it and get some good meals out of it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Good. I'll see you soon, I'm sure. And thanks for doing the podcast. It was a lot of fun and I learned a bunch of stuff. All right. Thanks for having me, Alan. My pleasure. Bye. Bye.